You're listening to The Donna Drake Show. Join us weekly as Donna talks with celebrity entertainers, sports legends, top journalists, business moguls, and everyday heroes sharing their stories of triumph, inspiration, and perseverance. Hosted by international award-winning creative artist, writer, producer, actor, and influencer, Donna Drake. All right, let's live it up with Donna Drake. Next, I'm going to be welcoming a very special guest. It is Tawana. And what's so exciting is I love to be surprised. And all of a sudden, right on set, Jenna just brought me these lovely flowers. And who are they from? Our next guest, that's right, it is Tawana Walfolk. Hey, welcome, Tawana. How are you? Hello, Donna and crew and Jenna. Y'all have been wonderful. Oh, my gosh. You're so thoughtful, so amazing. I I just thought that that was such a nice, classy touch, you know, that you sent me flowers. So they're here. It's almost like you're really here with me. Um, So thank you for these. They're just Lovely. Very, very lovely. And I like to be surprised. And so thank you for the surprise. I love gifts. It's like every month I get to shoot my TV show. It's like, it feels like it's my birthday, right? It's like, yay. You know, it's just uh, a joyful time to be able to meet new people and to celebrate their journey, to celebrate life with them. You have had an extraordinary journey, Tawana. Uh, Can you talk, uh, talk to us a little bit about maybe your challenging childhood that has brought you the strength of how you are a force now in the, in the universe. Well, thank you, Donna. Um, <laughs> I, oh, I tried to promise myself I wouldn't get emotional tonight, but <laughs> it's not working. Um, you know, just, just by the very um, invitation to be on this show is it continues to surprise me to be evidence um, that my existence was for nothing um, that that it was it was for this very moment um, that um, for your guests and audience um, I am 43 and um, started out in life um, under precarious circumstances and um, really at a very young age was very curious about how I could have even survived what I what I did. Um, And it wasn't until the third grade meeting Miss Coleman, who is this badass teacher. Can I swear on here? (laughs) We'll finish it, but Um, yes, we know what you meant. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, but she just, she is. um, I understand. She's all that and a bag of chips to water. She's like, she's it. She's it. Um, But she was really the first person that, planted that mustard seed of curiosity, of hope and faith that was my explicit invitation to explore this burning um, uh, anguish and desire to know why I was even existing and alive. Um, because I was born to a mother, my biological mother uh, was 14 at the time. She was just a baby herself. And um And so it just meant that the start of my life um, was filled with a lot of um, adversity and trauma. And um, it was just amazing um, that this teacher, maybe she knew I was walking around with this burning question of like, why I was living, why I was existing. And, um, And that's when I discovered Victory Frankel's book, Man's Search for Meaning in the Third Grade. 
And his book, which was his journey, um, maybe almost a parallel journey that I was on of kind of why he why he survived and and as a survivor of the Jewish concentration camps and why his family didn't. And it was this this belief that, you know, he could go wherever he could he wanted in his mind, that he had the ultimate freedom. And um, that just, that became part of my survival guide. And until I could figure out the rest of the journey. And, um, and so, you know, it was at that point, I at, by that point, I was in my final foster home, I'd gotten adopted at 12 years old. And, um, but I had went um, from the ages of four uh, through 12 in foster homes and, um, and just knew a life of just really scrounging in for survival and just existing. And um, so that's kind of just to kind of start you off a little bit. So as you realize that your challenges were maybe like a little more extreme than other kids in your classroom, this teacher mm-hmm. saw something special in you and kind of shepherded yeah. you along the way, if you will, into saying, you know, there's a paradigm shift here. You can take these challenges and turn them into something like fuel, fuel for the better mm-hmm. day, fuel for a better life yes. and fuel to help others because of your empathy. And that's what you did, Tawana. You decided you have an entire career now based upon the fact that you're relatable to other people's challenges and you help them overcome that. That's what you do. That, yeah. That's your career. It, it, yes. it fostered that foundation, you know. Sometimes in life, we don't know why things happen to us. You know, what do they say? Bad things happen to good people or, but mm-hmm. I believe that sometimes we all get a little dose of something, some, some more than others, you know, some have a horrible childhood, um, but you're giving people that joy now to almost have the childhood that they never had. You know, there's many different people that you help. Let's talk about that. Who are some of the, the people that you're able to touch, that you're able to, help heal yeah so um for um you know your dear viewers um i'm a licensed clinical social worker by training i will be going into my 20th year practice uh end of august will be my 20th year anniversary and so that's why being on this show is is especially important um and i consider myself a healer uh a doula for the soul um, actually just yesterday I posted a message on Instagram, really kind of living out loud. Um, I have a campaign about living, growing, healing, and changing out loud without shame, secrecy, and silence. And so yesterday, you know, I broke my silence around that I've chosen not to bear my own children, biological children, but to um birth life into my clients so that they could be their most favorite healed version of themselves. And so I am working with folks who, um, individuals, families, couples, um, who um, really are going through uh, the deepest of their healing around trauma, addiction, uh, depression, anxiety, um, just, just various stage of life issues, grief, um, delayed grief, um, acute grief, um, and 
really having the joy and honor of working with folks um, of all ages, all races, gender, sexuality, um, religion, ethnicities. It is quite a joy and honor that I get to uh, be a doula to steward them towards truly the life that they have always um, been meant to live and exist in. That indeed I end up really encountering folks who I'm just going to call a thing a thing. Um, they're truly just, they're just on life support, just existing and living in shame, secrecy, and silence and being afraid to just live out loud and heal out loud. And, um, and they come into my, in our shared space and I give them explicit permission to say what they've got to say, grieve what they need to grieve. Um, admit to the most egregious things that they've have the mistakes that they've made. Um, and I see their potential. I see their healing and I see the love that they need. And I'm, I'm willing to make myself emotional talking about this, but I see it. I see yeah. it. I see them. You're a, you're a, a safe space for them to wanna, you're yeah. a safe space for them to come forward, you know, and that's the other reason that I wanted, we, we spoke, I guess, about an hour and a half on the phone. And I just, I fell in love with your spirit. I fell in love with what you're doing <laughs> and who you are and the light that you're bringing to others as, as a licensed therapist. And, you know, I felt like the people that watch my show, they would want to know you, you know, because if they themselves are not hurting, they probably know someone that is. Tawana, I, oh, I you thank you so it. much. Yeah, I thank you so much for being here. And I, I wish you you know, joy on your journey and, um, and healing so that you can be that vessel, that you can be that safe space for them, you know? So thank you yes. for what you do. Thank you for choosing the profession you. that you chose. And we wish you nothing but happiness and joy on your journey. Thank you, Donna. I'm going to try to interview you, but like something magical just happened. And that is because we discovered that we're kind of like birthday twins, right? So do, if you divulge the year, I'll divulge my year. So go for it. So your birthday is June 2nd of what year, Tito? Uh, my birthday is June 2nd, 1971. I'm 51. Okay. And, and my birthday is June 3rd of 1965. So I'm just a wink older than you. But what's so funny is that we were having this great conversation about how creative people roll, right? And I, I wanted to say to you, I'm like, gosh, he sounds like me. I bet he's a Gemini. And before I ever got it out of my mouth, you confirmed it's true. So now it's yes. going to be fun because now when June rolls around, we can kind of sing happy birthday to each other. Like, you know, midnight to 1201, I'll be calling you. Uh, but I'm so glad that you're joining us. So Wow, what a beautiful career that you have had, I guess, almost since infancy, because you're the son of your dad. And, you know, I don't know if they gave you like knives and forks to play with and spoons and you just started like, you know, chopping out a beat. But tell us at what age you realized that you had the rhythm inside of your body. Wow. Uh, well, thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Um, you know, being the son of Tito Puente has its, uh, good, it's good and it's bad. Um, first and foremost, my father was an incredible drummer and as a child, he was, uh, very prolific in his percussion playing. And he did that a lot at home. 
in our home in Rockland County. And, uh, you know, they say when you're a young kid, uh, as parents, you know, don't touch my stuff. And what do we do as kids? We go, we start touching the things of our parents, whether it be, you know, cooking utensils or instruments or piano or bass or conga piano or timbale. So my father had a garage full of, uh, percussion instruments and therefore I, I ran into the garage and started playing at a very young age. I was probably around maybe eight or nine years old and uh, started whacking on some drums. But I'm a trap kit drummer first and foremost. That's how I learned how to play percussion. I like rock drumming. I never cared for mambo music like my father played before me. But Tito Puente was, if those who don't know, Tito Puente was the king of Latin music and a prolific, uh, avid marimba timbal player and played 30, 13 different instruments and was considered the king of mambo music and the king of Latin music worldwide from his um, vast catalog and, of course, his innovative music that he created back in the 1940s and 50s. So um, there you go. That's pretty much it in a nutshell as I... <laughs> gravitated towards the music. I traveled with him and I got that clave rhythm. And that's when I started playing quote unquote Latin music. So your entire household though, you know, you have uh, had talented siblings and other people, like you had longevity of your uh, ancestors and your grandparents. And like, there must've been so much fun and so much love and so much just wild uh, energy in your household growing up. I mean, did you guys ever sleep or was it always like, you know, music going on? What was that like growing up? In my household was a lot of music and a lot of uh, entertaining and friends and family coming over and celebrities. And it was a really something special for me. Hopefully one day I'll write a book and I can tell you all about it, the, the good and the bad. Uh, there was never any ugly in our home. There was always pleasantries and, and fun and music uh, and entertainment. And it was great. And my sister, Audrey, who's a meteorologist in New York, she was never got into the music thing. But uh, she was uh, great growing up with her. And then my brother, Ronnie, who was our older brother from my father's first marriage, he would uh, come over uh, weekly and uh, celebrate the life and legacy of dad all the time. And he's a musician in his own right. And it was just wonderful being his son and remembering the great spirit that he left in our home. And of course, in New York and in the tri-state area, he was very well known as uh, very popularized by the New York City uh, Latin music community and the music community and its in general, in New York especially, simply because Tito Puente was born and raised in Spanish Harlem, New York, in humble beginnings on 110th Street, in which that street is named after him now. And he uh, became what we call, Donna, the Puerto Rican Jeffersons. We went from <laughs> Spanish Harlem, New York, and we moved up to Rockland County. So uh, as my father's success grew, our family grew, and uh, it was uh, really something special. And again, it was a cherished moments in time that my father left on this world for us children, his children, to really uh, look back in, in retrospect and honor it. And we will do that with a documentary series on the life and legacy of my father, Tito Puente. And of course, hopefully I'll write a book and, and tell you all about the fun times and the, the, the zany, I would call the zany times of Tito Puente's <laughs> life. So, so one of the things I want to talk about too is, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but I grew up and I, I didn't speak Spanish or whatever, but like Santana. So, you know, in the song and everything, I, I make up my own words, you know, <laughs> so, you know, da, 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 you know, and I love all the music, but I could never really understand what they said until I got older. And then I was like, 
Oh, that's what that means. I do not know Spanish myself. I didn't know growing up simply because I was born and raised in New York City. So I had to learn Spanish and I had to go to school for it and kind of learn the street slang of Spanish. And my father, of course, was very fluent in Spanish, but he spoke more English than anything else because he was born in New York City as well. And same with most of my family. We are English speaking and traveling with Tito Puente and seeing him in concert. That's how I kind of honed in and learned a little bit more of my Spanish roots and the history of Spanish. And of course, the language itself through the lyrics of Tito Puente music. But when we travel and even till today, after 23 years after my father's passing and me performing his music around the world, I still find that people understand the language of the rhythm section yes. of the orchestra, which is the Kong playing the bongo. That's what people come to see Tito Puente for, to hear that rhythm, to make them dance. I'm not really too sure if they're consider, considered too much about the lyrical content of what Tito Puente displays in his songs. Most of them are very simplified and in more like a uh, chant and repeat type of tune like Oye Como Va and Mambo Gosong and Ran Can Can, which is the sound of really the timbale drum. So there isn't really too much to learn as far as... Um, uh, being you know, perspective of, of the music of Tito Puente, except that the rhythm is really what drives people to come to the concerts and really makes you move to his music. It does. It makes you move completely. And when you were talking about dancing, so dancing with the stars, you actually played. You brought the whole kit. What was that like to see them dancing with all their beautiful costumes and, you know... Uh, very, very exciting to be a part of the, a great show like Dancing with the Stars. And God rest our very good friend, Len, who just recently passed a couple of days ago. Um, he was a wonderful, wonderful gentleman. Uh, my friend Cheryl Burke, uh, who's one of the uh, trainers and one of the uh, uh, people that have been there from the beginning of Dancing with the Stars. She was a very big Tito Puente fan and still is till today. And uh, she asked if I could participate in the show and a tribute to my father, which I did. And that was very, very exciting. Right after that, they asked me to be a contestant on the show. And I told them I, I have two left feet, so I can't beat Jerry Springer. <laughs> and that was the end of that uh, part of my career. <laughs> I don't know how that, I really honestly do not know how that's possible. Because if you just take a moment, Tito, and you think about having sticks in your hands, right? But now you just yeah. think that your left foot and your right foot are the sticks. And you just yeah. play the beat with your feet. That's dancing. Yeah. Donna, Not tell that, that to my wife. Yeah. Tell that to my wife and my children. <laughs> Simply because <laughs> they, uh, I have two left feet. I can't dance. And that's kind of funny because it would have been hilarious. Me as a contestant on Dancing with the Stars, the son of the king of Mambo, uh, will probably you know bail out on week number one because <laughs> uh, my rhythm is very poor uh, as far as dancing skills. But it, when, when I play the cowbell, I can play the cowbell very, very good on time. And of course, my percussion playing, I try to keep up. Uh, the timing is what's really important. But yeah, the, it was a great experience being on the show. Besides the fact that your birthday's on June 2nd and mine's on June 3rd, uh, the engineers yeah. were like, ask him about the 100th birthday. So yes, you have this... It, you know, he would have been, your dad would have been 100 years old, right? So let's talk about yes. what you're doing special to celebrate his birthday. Oh, thank you for, for, for bringing that up. It was last week, uh, April 20th, 
2023 would have been Tito Puente's 100th birthday, his centennial. And with that, we wanted to do a bunch of different concerts this entire year. So we want to celebrate the entire year of Tito Puente, his music, his legacy, his life with a slew of concerts. We did our first one in Puerto Rico, the island where he comes from. And, and that was wonderful. And it was great to see the fans come out and celebrate Tito Puente. We are going to do a big concert in New York as well, in the Bronx at Lehman College on Saturday, May 20th, along with uh, some of the orchestra that my father worked with. And of course, some of the greatest timbal players of our generation, uh, Endo El Dueño, Nicky Marrero, uh, Orete Vilato, a lot of great um, old school percussion players and new school uh, dancers, uh, musicians. And it's a concert that's really going to show the graphics that we're going to have up of, of movies and, and old school stuff of Tito Puente, where people can come learn about Tito Puente, the history of Tito Puente, and what, what he really meant and the impact that he left on American music. And uh, that's something that everybody can be entertained with and enjoy on Saturday, May 20th at Lehman College. It's at the Lehman Center for Performing Arts. And you can go to lehmancenter.org. Uh, and check it out. It's in New York City. It's in our hometown of the Bronx. You can see I'm wearing a Yankee <laughs> outfit. Um, I'm Bronx boy. I love the Bronx. I love going home to the Bronx. And uh, it's nice that we can celebrate the 100th centennial of the King of Latin Music in New York City, where he was born and raised. You mentioned something that you're going to write a book about. You said that there was always something in your dad's fridge. What was that? Give us a little sample. That's a very good question. Uh, dad used to eat a lot of people know, don't know this, and I'm, I'm probably the only one that knows this, along with my sister, of course, and my mother. But my father was an avid cottage cheese and cherry eater. So he would put cherries in the middle of the night when he'd come home from a gig, maybe uh, after the Copacabana or wherever he performed at in New York City. And he would come home, throw on his robe, and we would find cottage cheese in the morning, like a little rat. And it would be all over the floor because he didn't miss his mouth all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe we had a little too much to drink that night, but he would always eat cottage cheese and cherries. And it was funny because we would find, you know, cherry juice on the floor and cottage cheese and maybe a spoon in the in the sink. And that was the Tito Puente of little uh, meal. I guess back then the, the theory was eating cottage cheese in the middle of the night, you could lose weight or some, something like that. It was good for your health. But that's uh, something Tito really enjoyed. And my father was a very avid, great fruit eater and drinker too. He liked grapefruit juice. And I guess that was synonymous to elderly people as well. But Tito Puente was a very big grapefruit juice eat, a drinker and eater. He would make us buy all these melons from the from my back then. When I think we were going to Shoprite, and uh, we buy all these melons and cut them up. And he'd be like, "Cut up the cut up the grapefruit, so when I get home, I can eat it." And he would <laughs> there would be just empty grapefruits everywhere in the in the garbage. I love that. <laughs> Happy birthday to your dad on his hundredth birthday, you know, we're reaching up to the heavens. Uh, I did notice a couple of times that the electric, when we were interviewing, kind of blinked, so that must have been your dad. But happiness to you. Wish you all the best. Thank you, Tito Puente Jr. Joining us now is Natasha Blasek. How are you, Natasha? I'm really good. How are you, Donna? I'm doing very well. Thank it's you so, so nice. much for having me. Oh, my gosh. I was so excited to uh, meet you, to work with you. You are very inspirational. You have had the most amazing journey. So can we start with that? I want to talk about your acting and all of your accolades, but I also want to talk about your journey because I think it's really amazing what you have been able to accomplish in yourself, in, you know, for yourself. 
Uh, I believe, if I'm correct, that at the age of 14, you were in the Ukraine living near the Black Sea, and you could pick it up from there. So tell us about you. (laughs) Well, I am originally from Ukraine, from Odessa, and I grew up in a very um, humble family. And uh, but I always I had those dreams. And I remember once I was watching TV and there was like a, a woman talking on it. And she said, like, if you if you dream about anything at all, you can accomplish this. And I was thinking, wow, I want I want to prove this in my life. I want to truly like see if it can really be true for me. If I like any wild dream I have, like, can it actually come true? And I think acting was like quite a wild dream. And at this point, like living in America for me was like a wild dream. I remember I was looking at those palm trees and I was telling people like, I want to live next to the ocean with palm trees. And they say like, but we don't have ocean. We have black sea. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I want ocean. (laughs) So So I was quite a big dreamer. Yeah. And you were very (laughs) Very specific specific in your vision. Like you saw what you wanted and you took things step by step. One of the heartwarming yes. things I found out is that uh, due to where you were in the transportation, that you would have to wait a really long time, sometimes in cold weather, terrible weather, in order to just go to like language school or things like that. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, it was like very cold nights and it was pretty scary because like I had to wait for like hours to get on a bus. But I had I had this dream. I had this drive. Like I wanted to speak English. <laughs> For better or worse. And um and I don't know. And I just I just had this and it's like it was it was fun. It was just fun. Like no matter what, like I was going to my dream and I met such a wonderful people along the way. I remember I was waiting uh with my friend and uh, he was such a nice person. He would like walk me sometimes home so I'm safe. It's just like was a you know, it's a now like it's a rough journey, but I think it's like the most important is to kind of enjoy the journey. Yes. And you've gotten to do some really wonderful things. It has the word American in it. Tell us about that project. Oh, American Dream. (laughs) Actually, it is like actually interesting uh, to be a part of a movie, the title American Dream, because in a way I do feel like I'm living my American dream. And it's a a movie starring uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's son. So that's actually very exciting to you know, when I was a little girl, I was watching this movie with uh, Arnold and now working with his son, it was like, it was a dream. <laughs> <laughs> and is that also Jamie Foxx's uh, directorial debut? And there's a lot of great names in this upcoming project. Well, um, that's a movie called All Star Weekend. And uh, like, I just really pray right now that Jamie will be good and he will recover uh, because that's been like a really a hard couple of weeks just to even like think about that and just like all I can do is like pray for his recovery. Uh, And it was amazing to work with such a comedic genius. I mean, he's like incredible uh, actor and everything, but this movie is a comedy and uh, just work with somebody who is creating this, such a beautiful creative space for all of us artists. And, uh, and, you know, it was so heartwarming how he believed in me and, you know, he's such a person because we talk about inspiration and motivation. He's such a person who really believes in you with all his heart. And he would leave you this beautiful messages on a phone, like very inspirational. And he's never short with a inspiration and motivation. And I think that's such an incredible, 
incredible quality in him, just like fully, like, I don't know how to say, like fully put you in this cocoon of love and support. And uh, that just, I just hope like right now he feels that love and support from all of us and he recovers very soon. But yeah, that's like, a, it's a it's a wild movie and I hope people see it pretty soon. <laughs> so, and my apologies, because you're right, Natasha, I got so excited to talk to you, but they both start with the letter A and sometimes I have dyslexia and I mix things up, but you're right, it's two separate oh. movies both starting with the letter A. So American Dream yes. and All-Star... Weekend. Weekend. All-Star Weekend. All-Star Thank weekend, you for yes. that. Thank you for recovering that for me. Um, so you have been working on a lot of projects. You also played, interestingly enough, uh, during the Holocaust, you played a character that was like saving children. You've been all over the place doing these wonderful, powerful roles. How do you prepare for that? Do you go back to, in your mind to the Ukraine a little bit to make you strong, a strong character? Oh, yeah. What do you use? Well, in this Holocaust movie, I did use it all. I definitely was using about Ukraine. I was using, um, I was thinking about my grandmother um, because during the World War II, I remember she was, she was telling us a story that she was at home and Germans came to her house and they wanted to and do whatever they were like planning and doing but she's such a strong woman and she's like just basically get 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 the hell out of here and uh and then she would tell a story that just turned around and left and this story always kind of stuck with me like how incredibly strong she was and it was like playing this character Luba Trzinska I was reading a lot about her I tried to listen and uh find out and read as much as I could find about Holocaust I was uh, listening to those tapes about uh, live witnesses. And uh, actually, she wrote a book, and I read her book. And uh, I was just trying to bring it all together and kind of in um, and thinking about what's going on in Ukraine. And it was, like, really incredible role for me to play. And I was so grateful. And it was, like, truly inspirational. I mean, even after playing it, I still don't understand I, I still can't wrap my mind how she's done what she's done she said 52 children during the times that it's like you can't even save yourself and it just shows that with the heart and courage you can accomplish incredible things and I mean she's such an inspirational person and you know the mother's uh, day is coming this weekend and um, and the movie called all moms rise uh, moms rising not all moms Mom's rising, but uh, they lived. All moms should be rising. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, and the director Scott Servine, he was such a great director, so spiritual. And you know, he actually told me, like, you know, I feel like Lu, I feel Luba's spirit around you. I think she's very happy. And when he told me that, I was like, oh my gosh! It became more than just acting role. It was something like spiritual journey for me. It was like really incredible. Natasha, you are such a good soul. You know, you're a good, oh, a you, good person. And I and I know all those things where you want to go for your dreams and continued success to you. And, and, and thank you for choosing this as a career, you know, because other people in the audience now are going to get to see your great work and they're going to have the ability to have their life changed because of the work that you do and that courage that you bring forth on the camera. You know, it takes a lot of courage. So continued success in your journey and uh, i'm just gonna send you like a oh, oh my gosh i feel it thank you so much right through to you so thank you welcome. i'm sending it back to you you're thank so you incredible so and it's like i can feel your warmth and the, your care 
this means a lot to me. I mean, I'll take this conversation to heart and I hope you feel how much I send in you love back. You're really incredible and you're spreading this beautiful energy. And it's like, I feel it. I feel it. I hope, I think everybody <laughs> feels how wonderful you are. Oh, thank you. That's so nice. And continued success with all the songs and, you know, all the roles and a uh, big, big thank shout you. out and hug to your husband too. Okay. Happy journeys <laughs> to you. Happy journeys to you both. Bye guys. Thank you so thank much. You. Mwah, thank mwah, you. Lots mwah. of love. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you, Donna. Thank You're welcome. You. Bye. Bye-bye. Joining us now is Ashley. She's an entrepreneur that came up with a wonderful product based upon matcha. So it's called Matcha McEntee. Welcome. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for having me. So I jokingly said, Ashley, would you ever change your name to Matcha McEntee? You said no. <laughs> no. I love matcha, but definitely would not, not change that. my name. <laughs> um, what inspired you to create this line? So I was really... Um, driven to create a product that is not only clean, but effective. I was diagnosed with celiac. And what people don't realize is that it's not only what you consume that you need to be mindful of it being gluten-free, but it's also the products and personal care items that you have to be mindful of what you're putting onto your body as well. I never thought about that. Yeah. But your skin, it's like a pore. It's their pores. Yeah. 60% of what we put on our body is absorbed into our bloodstream. So it's really important that we're mindful of what we're using and the ingredients that are behind it. I'm just like in shock because I have a lot of friends that are both celiac and also that have to eat gluten-free. And I was like, that's interesting. So I guess that makes sense. So it's not just what we eat, but it's also what we put on our skin. On our skin. And that's why a lot of times people are using like organic, like chemicals or whatever, or cleansers and things like that. So matcha McTea, you have some product lines and what, how do you use it? What do you do with it? Yeah. So this is our first product. It is a facial serum uh, and we use ceremonial grade matcha. Uh, as you said, matcha is kind of like the new wave. Um, but what people don't realize is that it's not only effective when you consume it, but also when you put it onto the skin as well. So okay. you absorb all of those rich antioxidants. Uh, it has a lot of uh, it boosts the circulation in the skin. Um, you can use it in the morning and or night. I use it both because I, I just don't drink enough uh, water. No, the do I. I'm not kidding. They're constantly, <laughs> wait, if you look underneath here, you see these water bottles. That's what it is. They're constantly making me drink. Exactly. So I don't drink a lot either. So you do it in the morning? Yep. I okay. put it on in the morning after I cleanse my skin. Um, but I also put it on in the evening as well, just to get that really hydrating effect. Uh, and it's nourishing and it's clean. And it's also Leaping Bunny certified. So I really, when I was designing this product, wanted to be mindful of having minimal but effective ingredients. Okay. Now you say ceremonial grade. What yes. does that mean? Is so there a ceremony that goes along with people that are growing matcha? No, okay. but um, <laughs> the, the Japanese really have brought in matcha into okay. tea ceremonies. And with ceremonial grade matcha, it's the really premium uh matcha that you can put into products. So when designing this product, I wanted it to have, you know, be made in the USA, but also have minimal but effective ingredients. So not only do we have ceremonial grade matcha, but we have green tea extract, vitamin C, L22, which is designed to make the skin look 22. Um, and it's oil-based. Okay. Now, how do you tell someone that they're supposed to apply it and not 
consume it. Put it in their body. Yes. Yeah. So um, really, it's it's just bringing that awareness that matcha can be used from whisk to skin. Okay. Um, And it's really just informing people that there's multiple ways in which you can incorporate matcha into your lifestyle. What has been your biggest uh, joy with all of this now? Because you said you started this in 2020 and now you have an entire product. You have your your product. Your product is out in a box and everything. Exactly. It was a lot of work um, in designing and coming up with the logo and the color scheme, having it be minimal, but with everyone having kind of those get ready with me videos in in social media, I knew that I wanted the bottle to stand out. And so green not only um, is, you know, represents matcha, but it stands for prosperity. Yes. So making it kind of stand out on your nightstand as well. Um, but yeah, it took me about three years. I launched March 1st at the Westin in Maui. Um, and I'm looking to expand into retailers right now. So it's a very exciting time. Now, would you consider this also like a beauty product? Like, yes. because it's before your before you would apply color on your skin, yes. right? So, so it's the base foundation. Exactly. So I cleanse my skin in the morning. I put a little on four drops, four to six drops. A little goes a long way. Uh, and then I put a moisturizer to really lock it in and put my SPF. And the beauty of it is that it's really, it's lightweight. So it's not heavy. Um, everyone has different routines. Uh, and so I wanted to be mindful of, of everyone's, you know, beauty routine practices. Lovely. Um, and what has the, you know, what have the scientists said about it and what have other, what's the feedback been for you? It's been really positive. Um, you can smell it. It smells luxurious. It's, it's, it's really lightweight. Well, Ashley, I will, I will take you on that. Okay. Go right ahead. So it's, it's, it's it smells great. Good. It smells really good. Um, I wanted to be also very mindful the fact that people are putting this on their face. So I wanted it to not be so potent. Um, but it's very lightweight and it's not sticky like most facial serums are. It's very nice. Congratulations. Um, I will give you a a matcha, uh, mixed tea, like a handshake, but, (laughs) um, yeah, you know what? You're right. It's, uh, it's very nice and it absorbs right away. Exactly. Wonderful. Well, congratulations. I'm really, um, happy that you joined us and, you know, we were talking about a lot of brides and things like that. So, Perfect. So if they start on, you know, early on and they're able to, you know, have a good skincare routine, you know, Ex- makes them even more beautiful. Exactly. Yep. So, yeah, this is really nice. Tea. We're making your skin a priority. <laughs> okay. Give that to me one more time, Ashley. So it's matcha mac and tea. We're making your skin a priority. I love that. Thank, Thank you, you so Thank much. Thank you so much. Happy journeys too. I really appreciate you coming all the way. I hope yes. that you're going to get to see some sites when you're, you know, coast to coast now. Of course. Okay. Definitely. And you know what? Also, like, set up some great meetings for you. I'm sure that you already have thought about that, right? Yes, are you taking exactly. some meetings Taking week? advantage of it. I love that, Ashley. Yes. Uh, Ashley McEntee. So we are here uh, bringing you the greatest new entrepreneurs. And if you have a need or you want to celebrate her, just please uh, look her up online. And you know what? This might be a really great solution for you. And if you're a retailer, you might want to carry this product. Donna Drake and join me. We're going to be going to the NGL Me Too launch. The NGL Me Too launch. I am so excited. Stay tuned for all the action coming up now. So Vanessa, congratulations. It's so exciting. We're here at the launch of NGL Me Too. Um, And as their chief brand officer, tell us what we're in store for. 
Oh, we're so excited. It's literally the coming together of our two companies, two legacy Latino media companies um, coming together. We complement each other. NGL is so strong in the media space and MeToo has been, you know, built this fantastic social community and these consumer facing brands. So we're really excited to kind of bring it together under one house. What prepared you for this moment in your journey? Uh, honestly, it's been a devotion to high quality storytelling and all roads led to these two organizations. And um, so over the fa last five years, I've been with them for the last five years, it's been shaping a slate that both uh, speaks to the quality of the kind of storytelling that I'm committed to, but also something that the community is, uh, is after. Um, that's representation. How are you feeling about this new partnership, this new growth in your life? Well, I, I feel like this is a big step in us owning our own storytelling and getting our own table. Like, uh, yeah, like uh, you know, we need to start stepping up and creating our own opportunities because they're not happening as fast or as quick as they should, and, and we got to do something about it. How are you feeling tonight? Oh, we're super excited. We're, uh, you know, happy to be here with so many great friends and supporters and all of our advertisers who've been supporting us over the last few years. Tonight's a big night because we're making a lot of big announcements, in particular the launch of our NGL Me Too company along with our Me Too TV platform and a new platform for young Latinas called Fierce. I love that. Now, you have been in this space for a while now, each of you, but collectively, it just seems like, I got chills actually, that's so silly, but I just got the chills. Um, it seems to me like this is gonna be bigger than anything you, anybody could ever imagine. Well, we're hoping it gets bigger and bigger as every passing year comes. You know, right now we're in a great position. We are the number one or leading digital video company for U.S. Hispanics in America, and we're now expanding that with all the new platforms that we're announcing tonight. Jasmine, hello and congratulations. Tell us what you're most excited about this evening. Uh, it's just exciting to be here after everything that we've worked on in the studio, all the content, all the comedy, the script writing, and all the shows and podcasts that we have in development. And to know that like this is launching now, it's just it's wonderful to be here in New York and be a part of the experience. Ben, this is like the official, I guess, New York City launch, right, of yeah. NGL Me Too, like the yeah. togetherness. It's like yeah. a marriage, right? It is. Okay, so what's happening at the wedding here tonight? Uh -huh. Well, tonight we're, we're unveiling our slate of original content for uh, this year and also kind of teasing out what we're doing uh, at our facility in uh, L.A. We have a 14,000 square foot soundstage in the middle of East L.A., and it's Incredible. We're like, we're, we're not just going to talk about the numbers or the lack of representation. We're going to do something about it. So Ben said he loved working with women, and there are a lot of women that work here. Um, with us now is Wendy. Congratulations. How are you? Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to share all the exciting projects that we're working on. So what is branding? What is a brand ambassador in this capacity? What do you do for NGL Me Too? So I'm the vice president of brands, which means I oversee all of the brands that live under the NGL Me Too umbrella. Currently, we have five brands. So I work with the social media managers to strategize all of our content and make sure that we put out our best content out on all social media platforms. When you first figured out that you were going to do this, who was the first person that you celebrated this with? Who did you tell? What was uh, that conversation my like? partners, Ben De, De Jesus, Joe Bernard and David Chattel. That's who we, we've been together for. David and I have been together longer than my marriage. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. You know, and that's a true story. <laughs> when you found out that you got this new position, who was the first person that you celebrated and you told? Ooh, that's a good question. I think my maybe my college friend, my college best friend, who's also a Latina, and we found <laughs> each other out in Amherst, Massachusetts. So, um, yeah, it was just, you know, 
felt like a real momentous occasion, so it was really fun. With us now is David, who John said he's been with longer than his wife. Now, is that true? You know, we're kind of right on the same level, if I have to, you know, answer that question truthfully. How did the two of you meet? So John and I have been business partners for over 20 years, as he might have told you, and we've had several ventures. The first one was actually called iCaramba.com. I remember. You remember iCaramba? Like letter I, caramba. Caramba, yeah. Yeah. And uh, as we let's say before there was Facebook, there was iCaramba.com. That later evolved into a larger company that we sold eventually. And our new company, NGL, which was NGL Collective, has since merged with Me Too, and now we're NGL Me Too. Now, where's your studio located? It's located in East LA, really in a neighborhood called El Sereno, which is right on the border of East LA. 14,000 square foot studio out there. I'm a New Yorker who just transplanted to the West Coast, spending a lot of time on the entertainment part of our business now. We've been very committed to shaping uh, representation in every avenue that you consider to be a part of the process of making content. So you'll look at our directors, our producers, our writers, and then of course the talent in front of the screen. It's representation that we're after. I love the fact that you created this Broadway show based upon your son and like you did this whole entire thing about that. Let's talk briefly about that. Yeah, like I, your creativity, like bringing it forth. Well, yeah, but I, I usually try to take things that are traumatic in my life and turn them into comedy because it's the best way for me to deal with it and help other people who might have the same issues. Like growing up in New York is not an easy thing for anybody. So that's what that Latin history for morons was to help America basically learn about all the contributions the Latin people have made to the making of the U.S. for 500 years and longer. What do you feel like was that moment for you that you said... I'm Jasmine, and this is my journey. For me, it it began when I took my first acting class. It began when I've always loved writing since I was a child. I loved journaling and writing and storytelling. And it's just storytelling in general. I love storytelling and being a part of the process to tell stories and share stories. And especially when it comes to comedy and creating short comedy content for the platform and it's just been a dream come true to be here. I have been hosting Latinx Latino television for more than 20 years. I started on a show on Univision called Control, which was a pioneer show because it was before all this was happening. And so we, we were trying to bring the youth to watch Spanish television and we succeeded. And so I've been doing this for quite some time. Um, most recently, I've been on Home Shopping Network, HSN, for 12 years uh, as the only Latina host. And so definitely proud and representing and, and doing Congratulations. Well. Have a great time tonight. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. So we really focus on uh, representation in front of and behind the camera, and it's in all of our, all of our projects. You know, even with women, a lot of our, our women, I'm surrounded by women producers, which I prefer, by the way. I do much better. No offense to my fellow fellas, but uh, I do better with women in power, and uh, we're excited about opening doors for the next generation. When you were growing up, did you know that you wanted to grow up and do something as special as this, or what was your original career plan? No, well, I majored in journalism and minored in Spanish language journalism, but I didn't really know what that looked like to me. My parents aren't college educated. My mom you know, was a babysitter and my dad worked in landscaping and that's very familiar for many Latinos. So for me as a first generation college grad, um, I graduated and was so proud of my diploma, but I didn't know what was coming next. 
So my degree was in journalism, and after that I felt kind of lost, like didn't know what I was going to do, and I figured I would write for a newspaper. But media, the media landscape changed incredibly fast, and you know, new media platforms arise at the time of my graduation. So I was lucky enough to be able to fall into this career path where I now work in new media, and we're creating videos and editorial content for different social media platforms. You already have some original programming, so what are some of the shows? Yeah, so we are launching uh, two original podcasts, which Mitu has never done before. One is called Three G's in a Pod, sort of everything pop culture, talk show. The other one is Girl, Let Me Tell You, so three fantastic, powerful Latinas sort of just dishing on everything and topics. Um, and then we have Spill the Cheeseman, kind of a game show, if I, truth or dare. You got to eat some spicy peppers if you don't want to answer some cheeseman about your life. Um, yeah, so that's just, you know, a sampling of them, but we have a lot more in store. Well, we got our own studio, so that's the biggest part is having our own warehouse where we can create the content. And then we have a huge amount of staff, writers, creators, directors, actors, and, and we're creating our own content. We're just doing it like the old studios you do, like Max Sennett, for anybody who remembers him from the silent era. And who, who's part of your, like, your family? Yeah, so the family is definitely, John and I were sort of the nucleus. Uh, then uh, we have another business partner, his name is Ben Leff, he's our chief operating officer. Ben De Jesus, who everyone knows, is our chief creative officer. And Joe Bernard is our chief revenue officer. And now we also have Vanessa Vigil, who is our chief brand officer. When you found out that this was going to be your new gig, who was the first person you celebrated with? Uh, my wife was the first person I celebrated with. Uh, I called her as I was walking to my new office, and I ended up saying, hi, this is what we're doing, and uh, she's here tonight to celebrate with us, so it's exciting. We're celebrating all the hard work that we've put in to the studio, and it's, it's been really fun. I, I love my team. I love the people that I work with, and I, just, I love being here and being a part of it. At what point, Ben, did you decide that this was going to be your career path? How did you choose? Well, I used to be obsessed with Broadway, and in particular with John Leguizamo. So I, uh, I, I grew up idolizing him and wanting to get to Broadway. And then I had a moment where um, I, I decided to go to the other side. So I started MT, uh, an MTV internship. And I just worked my way up the ladder. And here I am. I've been partners now with John Leguizamo for about 13 years. And it keeps getting better. And I wish you all the joy in the world. Continued success. Thank you so much. I appreciate all of your support and the support of everyone who follows all of our brands and continues to cheer us on. We do this, you know, because we believe in our community and we believe that we deserve to be out there and our stories deserve the recognition that they haven't received before. And a lot of the stories are English-speaking stories, so everybody can enjoy them. Yes, that's a lot of times people ask us, is your content in Spanish? And, you know, most of us Latinos were born here in America, so our first or second language is English, so it makes sense for us to hear and see our stories in English. NGL Me Too, and then TV. Stay tuned. Be well. You know, when I was growing up in Jackson Heights, Queens, I learned the same history they taught kids all over America. Guess what was missing? Us, the Latino contributions to this country. The most important thing that we have to do is make people understand that we are one human race. And that way we can stop discrimination and stop domination. Si se puede.
now is Peter, and we're going to be talking about Biche Cucina, and I was so excited to have him here as a guest. And he's no uh, novice when, when it comes to cameras, so joining us now is Peter. How are you? I am doing fabulous. Thank you, my love, for having me here. So you're somewhat famous yourself. The restaurant's famous, your Prosecco's famous, you yourself are famous. When did you decide to be uh, in front of the cameras? What's, what was happening with that? It's not like I had a decision. I was cast into it okay. through, uh, through a, lot of, uh, a lot of drama that comes with the restaurant business. So it's not like I really had a choice. I was just cast into it. And then I saw how popular the restaurant and my wine line was getting from it. So, uh, you know, I just, uh, I'm a media I'll go wherever, uh, wherever the marketing dollars are. <laughs> it's like, I've got a pretty face. We'll travel. Oh, thank uh, you. But also the food speaks for itself, too. Like Bici yeah. Cucina. I mean, it's a, a th- authentic Italian cuisine. Started in 1926. It did. It started in 1926 in Milan. Uh, still there today. It's a northern Milanese food. And then it expanded all over the world with locations in Dubai, Istanbul, South Africa. Uh, the best city in the world, New York City. We're all over South Florida, Palm Beach. Uh, and uh, we're, we're expanding. And when it first started, it was somewhat simple, right? It was Beatrice and siblings and just a little tiny offshoot of their home. And Yeah. Well, in 1926, I was just a little baby then. <laughs> so uh, I don't know a lot about the, you know, the, the chemistry between the family back then. But it did start off with uh, the mother of my oldest partner, Roberto. Her name is Beatrice. And she had this uh, restaurant in, uh, in Milan in 1926, and people from all over the world would come through there. And uh, Japanese investors, or I believe it was Chinese investors, came through. They told Beatrice, you should be in New York. She said, if you want to flip the bill, we'll come to New York. And they did. And they did. Uh, yeah. And you, you got involved about how many years ago? I got involved. Uh, I, I was in the nightclub business. I wanted nothing to do with the restaurant business because in the nightclub business, people complain. You throw them out. You know, in the restaurant business, you can't throw anybody out. You got to be very appeasing. But uh, going back to the early 2000s. Very nice. Now, the Prosecco, tell us about that. And it's called, is it Tipsy Girl? It's called Tipsy Girl. It's a sparkling rosé and also Prosecco from the DOC region in uh, Veneto, Italy. It's made in Italy, uh, imported to uh, the United States. I launched it when I was on the Royal Housewives of New York a few years ago. And it's done very well. We had a global distribution Then the almighty COVID set in, the growers stopped growing, the grapes start producing and everything shut down. Now we're uh, we're back into full swing. Now through social media, I found it so interesting that you had uh, Rod Stewart. You've had all these great celebrities that are like, because when they want something really good, that's where they're going. They're going to Beachy. Yeah, we've always been known as a celebrity hotspot. Back when we opened up in uh, 1982 in uh, 54th Street in Manhattan, we're now on 55th Street. We had um, Sammy Davis Jr., the Rat Pack. We had presidents. We had senators. We'd have people from McDonough to Eric Clapton. Billy Joel is one of our regular. If you see on, on my Instagram, you see <laughs> Billy Joel with me. And he's got a famous song that we were a part of. It called Scenes from My Favorite Italian Restaurant. So I play that quite a bit on my Instagram because I'm very proud of it. And it was just his birthday the other day. It was his right? birthday the other day. Yeah. It was, yes. Uh, yeah, a great, mm-hmm. uh, great musician, great talent. Absolutely. Uh, wonderful dad, too. Like, I don't know if you've seen recently, but he's got like, you know, he posted like, and it's not, it's lovely to see that. It's lovely to see someone that's just like, so like really down to earth. 
And then he performs and he has a way of uh, connecting with people just like you do at the restaurant, right? It's people sit down and it's, I don't know, it's about the food and the atmosphere, the culture. So it's it's really about, uh, in New York City, you know, you have 15,000 restaurants. You can throw a rock and hit a good restaurant, right? And we're a little bit different at Beachy. You know, as soon as you walk through the doors, you're part of my family. You know, we don't have that snobbish atmosphere like you do in some restaurant where the hostess looks you up and down <laughs> reservation. You know, we they try smell to, your perfume and yeah, then they decide what table like, you can sit sorry, at. Sorry, right? it's going to be 11 days before we can seat you. You know, we try to get people in and out. We're in the theater district. So a lot of people come in pre-dinner. We have to get them out. So we run it more as a family business and not a snooty uh, wannabe uh, atmosphere. And talking about that, you, you do care about your community. I know that you've ran for office or you're considering running for office. Right. Yeah. You, have you even when you were a little boy, did you care about your neighbors and no. your community? Or? When I was a little boy, I just cared about playing and you okay. know, playing with my Tonka trucks and riding my Huffy bike. As you get older, you start to see that there's certain certain issues in the world that you just cannot stand by anymore and watch happen. OK, so a couple of years ago, I got involved into politics. I ran for uh, office in New York City. Um, I didn't do very well. First time out of the gates. But I love New York City. I've lived in many cities, and New York is the best. And when I see it being hurt or it's not where it used to be, I feel like I need to get involved to help. And when I dine, um, what is the one thing that I must have when I go to the restaurant? So we have staples that are in all our beaches around the world. One of them is the Ville Milanese. Um, it's um, pounded, fresh, breaded. And then um, pan fried, we do arugula salad over with your tomato. The hands got to come out now to talk. <laughs> um, we have, uh, we're also known for our pasta bolognese. Um, we do all our pastas in house so it's fresh. Uh, one of our most famous uh, appetizers right now is called uh, a tuna carpaccio. Oh, nice. So it's tuna sliced very thin, done with a bed of arugula, cherry tomatoes. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, if you want authentic northern Milanese food, beaches where to go. Thank you, Peter. It was lovely to have Thank you, you here. Thank you, my dear. Appreciate I can't wait it. to see you there soon. Uh, stay tuned for more. We've been living it up, and you know where I'm going to be dining. Maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow, but I'll be there. This is Donna Drake. Happy journeys! We would like to thank you for joining us on The Donna Drake Show. We can't wait for you to tune in for the next episode. In the meantime, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks again. And until next time, remember to live it up with Donna Drake.